Welcome to Fintech Underground by Alpaca, a podcast devoted to stock trading API. From trading with algorithms to connecting apps to building out services, Alpaca is built for developers and traders. And with that being said, let's get started. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Fintech Underground by Alpaca. In each episode, we aim to explore a different area within Fintech. I am incredibly excited for today's episode featuring James, the CEO and co-founder of Quiver Quantitative, an up-and-coming alternative data platform, along with our host, Yoshi, CEO and co-founder of Alpaca. This episode is not one to be missed. Offering alternative data sets such as sentiment analysis of the popular Reddit forum Wall Street Bets, to corporate jet flights, to political beta, users can find alternative data spanning a variety of interests. Along with an easy-to-use API and an upcoming mobile app, Quiver Quantitative aims to bridge the information gap between Wall Street and non-professional investors. So let's get started. Hello, James. How are you? Hi, Yoshi. Good. How are you? I really wanted to say thank you for taking your time to appear on our podcast today, Fintech Underground. I know we have a lot to talk about, but firstly, can you introduce yourself and uh, about your company? Yeah, so my name is James Kardatsky. I'm the CEO of Quiver Quantitative. Quiver Quantitative is an alternative data platform, uh, and specifically, we're an alternative data platform designed for retail investors. So what we do is we basically scrape interesting data sets from around the web, things that we think might be useful for making better investment decisions. And then we provide that on an easy-to-use platform where retail investors can sign up and start tapping into these data sets. I've been looking at your website, and like you know, I just see many kind of funky, very unique data sets, right? Uh, firstly, I just want to really ask you, like, how do you come up with this, uh, you know, really cool, interesting data sets ideas? Yeah, so alternative data has actually been pretty popular in the hedge fund industry and among professional investors in general for the last decade or so. It's around a $2 billion market now, you know, with hedge funds, many of them are spending tens or hundreds of millions of dollars a year to collect these unique data sets. So there's already kind of you know, some established literature and like information out there about what's already being used in the hedge fund industry. What we're kind of trying to do is, you know, take some of these data sets that are already being widely used on Wall Street and then go out there, scrape and collect them ourselves and make them available to anyone who wants to use them. So to a certain extent, you know, we're, we're just kind of trying to keep our ear to the ground to see what's being used by the professionals. But then we also pay pretty close attention to what retail investors really care about right now and then try to go out there and find interesting and unique data sets that can give them some more, I guess, quantitative information about th- those fields. Got it. So so you're saying that like many of these uh, data sets that's on this website, so I'm just going to read it out, like Senate trading, house trading, Wikipedia page views, and to the, you know, work visas uh, for like state by state. When I looked at it, wow, like this is really interesting data. I really never thought about, but you're saying that these are already kind of a pretty uh, natural that like a lot of professional Wall Street uh, guys are using already? Yeah, yeah. So it definitely varies case by case. But for many of these, you know, when you think about things like tracking social sentiment or tracking what retail investors are talking about on different forums, these are things that Wall Street or at least certain funds on Wall Street have been paying attention to for several years. So we kind of view ourselves as like the intersection there where, you know, we want to find things that are, you know, you're able to extract alpha from, you're able to find unique investment insights from. But then we're also looking for things that are, I guess, you know, intuitive for people who may not have a deep financial or deep data science background and that are kind of accessible for retail investors and people who, you know, may not have decades of experience in the 
professional investing industry. Interesting, because I think like when you think about social sentiment, there's like, of course, Twitter feed or like even stock tweets feed and the Wall Street bets discussion. This is, you know, part of that, your, your data set. But for example, like how does work visas, like, for example, like, you know, how the people use this kind of data set? The work visas data, uh, you know, that's kind of an interesting way to think about which companies might be hiring or adding new workers. Uh, you can also look into that data and see what sort of positions different companies are adding and then also what sort of wages those companies are paying. So again, like this is something that's fairly popular, you know, being able to track which companies are hiring and expanding and which companies may be growing and shrinking their workforce can be a good way to kind of think about um, just the company's path in general. Interesting. So like, you know, the visa status, uh, because affects a lot of uh, worker numbers of the employees, each of the companies uh, employing, mm -hmm. got it. That reminds me of like, you know, those parking lot like satellite image kind of stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a classic example is, you know, there are, there are some alternative data companies who will put up satellites over Walmart's parking lot or something to see how many cars are going in and out to front run the earnings numbers. But yeah, yeah that's one of my favorite examples. What is that, like, you know, the kind of like your favorite experience and the data set that you've found or like, you know, or even you're working on right now that you want to share that you felt like made you super excited about? One of my favorite stories that was, you know, one of the things that got me really into alternative data in the first place was hearing about a hedge fund that used corporate private jet logs so that the hedge fund would track where each corporate private jet was departing from and then arriving to. And by tracking those jet logs, they're able to see that there's one company, Occidental Petroleum, who their private jet basically touched down in Omaha, Nebraska, which of course, you know, like Omaha, that's where Berkshire Hathaway is based. That's where Warren Buffett's based. So this hedge fund professional was able to see that, and they actually predicted that the company was then going to have uh, a major investment in it made by Berkshire Hathaway. So they were able to kind of front run that. You know, two weeks later, it turns out that that was the case. Berkshire Hathaway announced the acquisition, and the company's stock jumped up like 15%. So that, that was like just one really, really cool example. I can think of how someone took an untraditional data feed and then used it to take away a really interesting insight. Um, and, you know, we ourselves have been kind of working with corporate flight data ourselves a little bit through Quiver, but that's just one of my favorite data sets just in terms of how out there and how in, like unique it is. That really makes me feel like even I can make money with like, you know, getting those alternative data uh, and, and like, I, I feel like, you know, I can be a hedge fund. Like, is there like any data source or like, you know, how do you get that kind of, um, news or information? Because I think firstly, you have to like learn or figure out what's really happening because like you know you you're saying that like you're trying to firstly get what already hedge funds are using to be distributed to the retail right so like you firstly need to learn about what they're doing like how are you getting those information and news yeah so it depends data set by data set but our process generally is after we identify an area that we think uh you know might be interesting or useful we go out there and we try to find a public data source or you know something that we're able to either scrape or access through a public API. And then in some cases, it means that we write a script that will scrape a website every hour or something and pull the data from that site, update it into our database, and then we can distribute it through our web platform and through our API. In other cases though, it's just as simple as tapping into a public API that a company already has set up so we can just pull the data directly, then do whatever processing we need to do on that and then distribute it to our user base. It's just so interesting for like all those data, but how long uh, you've been doing this uh, company now? Yeah, so it's been about a year and a half now. First started working on it in the winter of 2020. And you recently, uh, I guess like six months ago, released the uh, API access to your product as well. Like, How have been the 
kind of user reaction to your product in general and how is it became different or like, you know, bigger through APA product uh, launch? Yeah, so initially, we, like I said, we just had the web platform where people could sign up and create a free account. So it's been growing pretty consistently. We now have about 70,000 registered users on that who are just checking in, basically, uh, you know, visiting the dashboard through our website, foverquant.com. Launching the API, you know, it's kind of a completely different ballgame where for that, we have several different use cases that people can have through the API. Uh, you know, first of all, you may have people who are just hobbyists or researchers are interested in tapping into these data feeds and doing deeper backtesting on it. You know, we've had several like professors or research students reach out wanting to do a project, like, you know, seeing if there's anything to be found in Senate trading data or like Wall Street bets data or something like that. So we, we do have plans set up where it's, you know, easy for individuals who want to use it for non-commercial use to just tap into it and get a fairly cheap access to all these data feeds. We've also been working with some enterprises who want to integrate this data into their own product. So, you know, say that you're a brokerage who wants to be providing good research tools to your users. It's pretty easy through our API to sign up for a plan where you're able to license and then republish and redistribute our data so that you can, you know, start bringing that to your own users as well. Like that's really, we see a great way of kind of leveraging the power of this data where we don't need to go out there and have people sign up to our platform. We can work with other platforms who already have a large user base and get our data plugged into their platforms that it can have a much wider reach and that more people can get use out of it. I mean, that's something that like Alpaca should be doing. <laughs> so th- thank you for <laughs> like, you know, mentioning that. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that you launched your uh, market data API this morning, actually. I, I know, I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and then, then the final use case is we've also been working with some institutions who... Uh, you know, if you're doing algo trading or something, you can tie directly into these data feeds and start setting up automated strategies trading off them. So those are kind of the, the three main areas that we see our API being used, the hobbyists, the enterprises, and then uh, the institutions. Wow. So how, how are you thinking about growing these data sets and, uh, uh, you know, how are you trying to scale and uh, ideate uh, and do the research? Yeah, so we've generally been adding about two new data sets to our platform every month. Other than that, like, like that's um, kind of driven by market news and kind of what people are finding topical. Like we don't necessarily have like a game plan for like what data sets we're going to be adding to our platform six months from now. Uh, generally, like I said, we just kind of keep our ear to the ground, see what people are talking about a lot, and then go out there and try to find new data that's relevant to that. Because I think in general, like especially for retail investors, a lot of the value from these alternative data sets comes from, you know, you can find data on things that are super topical right now but not, might not necessarily be topical six months from now, for example. You know, I think that's really opposed to kind of like a lot of these fundamental data sources where if you're looking at a company's income statement or, you know, their earnings report, like a lot of the data in that is going to be, you know, in terms of like the form, it's going to be pretty consistent quarter over quarter going back several decades. And it's nice because you can like, you know, see an easy line, like over time, you can analyze it over a large period of time. But then what if you think about something like COVID? Like, what if you think about something like the impact of the U.S. election? Like these are things that are going to have a really big impact on the market for a short period of time. And they may not be super relevant after that, but we think it's still important that retail investors have a way to understand the impact of those events and then be able to make data-driven decisions on how they're going to respond to that. So that, that's kind of how we think about like what data sets we're going to be going out there and acquiring is just kind of keeping an eye on what's relevant and then trying to match that. But in terms of just broader product development, we're also working on a mobile app right now that we're hoping to launch in mid-June. So we're really excited for that because a lot of our users to the platform have been coming from mobile devices. So 
hoping to give a better experience to those users. So could you tell me a little bit about this uh, mobile app experience? Because, uh, you know, the, if uh, that someone is hobbyist or more of the businesses uh, or, you know, broker dealer partners, you know, they want to, of course, access to probably like you know, more of the desktop. But how is that like, you know, people are using your platform via mobile device already? And then because that person, she or he will probably like place trades or do something with that data to do some actions, right? Yeah, so right now, if someone's on mobile and they want to access our platform, basically they have to open their, you know, their Safari or their web browser, or whatever, go to quiverquant.com and then just access it in browser. So our mobile app, basically, we're attempting to replicate all the features that you can find on our desktop platform and just bring it in a application format where it's optimized for mobile. And like you kind of hinted at there, I think that that just makes the investing experience a lot better for a lot of these people because... You know, a lot of our users, they'll be making trades through like Robinhood or Fidelity or another app on their phone where it becomes a lot easier if it's just a matter of like, you know, switching to the Quiver app, getting whatever data you need to make your decision and then switching back over to whatever app you're trading off of so that you can plug in that trade. You know, going forward, we want to have an even more integrated experience where, like I mentioned earlier, like we want to get our data onto these brokerage platforms so that people don't even need to switch back and forth between Quiver and another venue. They can just have the data right where they're making their trades and there doesn't need to be this, uh, you know, split between the platforms they're using. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Going back to the data set. So you said like you know, you're adding two per month, but how many of them do you have now? Yeah. So I think we have about two dozen data sets right now. Everything that we have isn't currently listed on the website. You know, there's a couple data sets, like I said, that were relevant for a certain period of time, but then are no longer relevant. So we remove them. But yeah, in, in general, I think we've collected about two dozen different data sets covering a pretty wide variety of topics. This is like almost um, in order to get the like the data sets that people want to be looking at is you even have to get the kind of sentiment data of Twitter and the Reddit to see like, you know, what, what's been talked about, right? Yeah, we're definitely pretty, pretty tied into some of those retail investing communities. I mean, that's where we've seen a lot of our growth come from is just doing content marketing on sites like Wall Street Bets or like Stocktwits. So yeah, we're, we're pretty tied into the community and we get pretty fast feedback from people on whether or not a new data set's actually interesting to them or not. Yeah, because like your product itself is a content marketing contents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go into like, you know, you, uh, James, but you started your career at a uh, hedge fund uh, manager uh, working for the hedge fund. Yeah, so kind of what was the direct precursor to starting Quiver was an internship I had at a hedge fund out in Boston. That's where I first really got my first experience with seeing how alternative data was being used in a professional setting and uh, kind of where I learned the ropes of like what it takes to go out there and collect some of these data sets. So you realize that like, you know, that's actually useful. You've seen it with your eyes that it's being used and you just kind of decided that, hey, man, like this can be pretty cool and useful for uh, retail investors as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway was not only that it was really useful in the professional investing community, but also that you didn't really need to have like a deep financial background or like a deep data science background to make use of some of these data sets. Like, you know, I think I think from the outside looking in, when you think of something like alternative data, you might think of something that requires a lot of, you know, like almost a quant background in order to really interpret and make use of. But in reality, a lot of these data sets, I think that you can draw pretty interesting insights from you know, even if you're just a complete outsider to the investing world. Yeah, no, th that's so true because it just that itself is not a number. Like, you know, the flights, like is it Omaha or or it's like, you know, the uh, like which state is like you have more H1 visa. <laughs> that's so like natural and like. Yeah, I think there's a lot of room for making like qualitative 
drawing like qualitative insights on the top of these quantitative data sources that we're trying to provide. So, and I think like you know we uh, you know touched a little bit is I think like you know, what I'm so interested about this is that how you can scale, right? Like you, know, you say like you know two data sets a month, but like you know how are you thinking about your uh, growth strategy? Of course, like you know user base, um, you know you continue to be very much uh, connected to the community, but also in terms of the content, like how are you thinking about growing that side? Yeah, so I guess um, in terms of scaling, like basically our growth so far is mostly come from like native content marketing, like I've said earlier. So just sharing our new data and our new data dashboards with these trading communities and then kind of letting them take over. And, you know, some of our dashboards have gone viral on like Wall Street bets and things like that, where, uh, you know, there's like a bit of a self-propagating effect where if people like it, they'll share it with other people and that'll drive growth a lot. But for longer term, I think that some of these enterprise partnerships are really where we see ourselves being able to reach a much broader audience and kind of continue to scale exponentially over time. You know, we, we'd like to be able to be tied into a lot of these other brokerages and a lot of these other platforms that already serve millions of users. And I think that that's kind of longer run the best way that we can get our name out there as much as possible and continue growing quickly. How are you thinking about a growth strategy of the contents to like increase to a month to like... 20 new data sets a month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, I don't think that that necessarily is something that I guess that we see as like a, a major area that needs to be scaled. Like to a certain extent, I think that there's a finite amount of data sets that are going to be really interesting and useful for people in a given month. So, you, you know, I, I think that, that that might be an area where that, I guess that's not really a huge priority for us right now is like scaling out as many data sets. Because obviously, you know, if you're a retail investor using our platform, you don't want to be overwhelmed with 120 different data sets being thrown at you where you have no idea what's interesting or what you want to look into. So we do kind of want to keep it somewhat limited so that, you know, we make sure that we get the data sets that are most relevant to people right now. And we're not just throwing a ton of numbers at them where they don't really know how to make use of it. That makes sense. So, and like you know, a lot of uh, data sets that you're seeing is uh, mainly kind of US-based data, uh, but like, are you thinking about getting some kind of data uh, globally, uh, internationally as well? Yeah, it's definitely something we've thought about is, you know, right now we've been almost entirely focused on U.S. equities, but we've done a little bit of work with crypto lately. But in general, I think that we'd like to expand our scope quite a bit over the next year to, again, be looking at other regions and then also looking at other asset classes as well. Because, you know, I think a lot of retail investors aren't just focused on U.S. equities, obviously, and that there's a lot of other interesting areas that we could start doing more more digging into. Yeah, because I feel like, uh, you know, this also connects to kind of global macro strategy too, right? Like you know, looking at the how population or like in more of the big trend is moving. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. So turning your question uh, into more about you, like, you know, you did like kind of interns to the those, you know, hedge funds uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you uh, kind of had experience there. But what made you really like, you know, trigger yourself to start your own company instead of, uh, you know, working for the hedge funds or like, you know, other tech companies that you've already interned at, at that kind of industries? You know, originally Quiver wasn't really intended to be a full, like standalone company. Like it kind of started as more of a hobby that my twin brother and I, who's, who's my co-founder and CTO, were working on where we started off by collecting data on Wall Street Bets discussions. So we'd be scraping the discussion on that forum we'd be publishing it a dashboard and then sharing it with the Wall Street Bets community. So it was really only after, you know, shortly after we started doing that, we started seeing quite a bit of traction and, you know, quite a bit of interest in this data. And then we started looking at some other data sets as well, you know, putting out data on like Senate and House trading. And it was kind of just a snowball effect where it generally, we began to realize that there was a lot of interest in this sort of stuff and that, uh, you know, it was worth 
working on as like a standalone company. So th- there definitely wasn't a single moment where I like decided that, you know, I'm going to be doing this full time versus uh, a more traditional career path. But uh, just because of the amount of traction we started seeing and the amount of interest we saw in it, it definitely, uh, you know, made sense that we start working on it as a full time venture. And then that you you were born and raised in uh, Wisconsin. And like, you know, uh, so you work with your brother, uh, your uh, basically like, you know, your home. Yes. Yeah, so right now we're working remotely from, you know, just back in our hometown, basically. Our team's about six people. So we have four of our six members are based in Wisconsin. Then we have two people out of state. But hoping actually here in the next couple of weeks, now that things are starting to open back up, that we're going to be moving into an office down in Madison, Wisconsin. So it'll be nice to actually meet all the members of my team in person pretty soon. That's exciting. And uh, so you're planning to uh, grow the team in the Wisconsin uh, office. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're still obviously open to hiring people remote because it's worked out pretty well so far, just having everyone calling into Zoom meetings and stuff. It, we, we haven't necessarily needed to be in person, but it's definitely going to be nice seeing people face to face. And, you know, we, we like hiring people around the Wisconsin area too, because uh, we think there's a lot of talent coming out of the the university down there. So that makes sense. Uh, you know, we, uh, Alpacas, we like, so we uh, try to hire everyone from everywhere. <laughs> And I'm yeah. <laughs> actually in Kyoto, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> what time is it over there now? I don't know. It's uh, it's like 1.30 a.m. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I think like, you know, what, what remote work allows us to do is like we can be anywhere, but like we still cannot fight or change the time zone, uh, especially like we're in stock market. So like, you know, there is a market hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great, great. Um, so like, you know, how is your like, you know, you started this with your twin brother, but like, I think there's um, when you start a company with someone that's that close, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of things going on. But like, how was your experience, like, you know, pros and cons that, you know, you've seen so far? At first, there's definitely is definitely a bit harder just, you know, making sure we're not stepping on each other's toes too much, because both of us have pretty strong opinions about stuff. And we tend to be kind of argumentative with each other just by nature. Um, but over time, we've definitely gotten a much better idea of like what stuff's in his domain, what stuff's in my domain. So we're not, you know, arguing over whether we want this button on this page to be formatted in one way or the other. <laughs> like, like basically, basically, it started to work quite well. And and we both obviously uh, know each other quite well. So we know where we each have our strengths and weaknesses and can collaborate on it pretty effectively. So how are you thinking about um, taking uh, your company to maybe like, you know, five to 10 years, like what is the like grand word domination plan for Quiver? In general, I think that in a lot of ways, alternative data is just as useful to retail investors as fundamental data is. But at the same time, right now, it's just completely inaccessible. Like it's it's very hard to find it. So in five to 10 years, we'd like to see alternative data be just as widespread and like widely used as fundamental data is. Uh, so, you know, we'd like to have it be included in basically like every major brokerage included on like all the investment research sites like Yahoo Finance, like Bloomberg, and we'd kind of like to be the driving force behind that. And I think that kind of starts with the API where it's just us licensing out the data to other brokerages and other institutions, enterprises who would like to tie it into their own platform. But then we'd also like to continue growing our own user base and getting more and more people coming to quiverquant.com and then the quiver app later on to start making their own investment decisions or maybe like you know making your own alternative data sets by yourself or something like you know data creation <laughs> team 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we haven't, uh, we haven't attempted to make any data sets on our own users behavior on our platform, but you know, at some point <laughs> that's something that might be interesting to look into. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, it's about uh, getting the time, uh, but we always ask this question, um, for our participant, but considering like, you know, these, uh, complex, um, you know, market decision and this uh, involves money, of course, and the uh, sensitivity around the data. Um, there's a many things that, you know, you would care about because, of course, like you worked at hedge fund. So you see it's a little bit different compared to other industries as well. And, you know, there are a lot of regulation compliance, uh, you know, around that. Like, so with that said, like, is fintech worth it for you? Yeah, I'd say 100%. Um, you know, like you said, there is kind of a lot of compliance things that you have to think about. And uh, just in general, maybe it's it's a little bit harder to get into than it might be in some other industries. But I think that there's a lot of super exciting stuff happening in fintech right now. Like, you know, I think the stuff that you guys are doing and the stuff that's being done at a lot of brokerages like Robinhood is just in general making it a super exciting space to work in right now, especially on like the investing and the trading side of things. So, you know, personally, I can't really imagine doing entrepreneurship in any any other field like fintech has been where all of my interest has been. And it's definitely, I think, been 100% worth it. Well, that's great. Uh, you know, that's great to hear that. And like, you know, I'm, I just feel very pumped up uh, what you are doing. It just personally interests me a lot about like, you know, what you're building. So thank you very much for uh, sharing your story, James, today. And uh, thank you very much for coming to our podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I also wanted to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode of FinTech Underground by Alpaca. As always, check out all of our past episodes on all major streaming platforms podcasts can be found. Thank you.